0: You're listening to The Cross-Border Interviews with Chris Brown. Welcome to The Cross-Border Interviews with Chris Brown. I am your host, Chris Brown. And if you listen to Friday's episode, as this is coming out on Tuesday, you know that our regular uh, regular guest, Sarah Biggs of Point of Order, our live weekly Wednesday show, is off working on a leadership campaign. So she cannot talk about the UCP leadership. So I needed someone to come in and talk about UCP leadership and Alberta politics and a little bit more in depth off the record. Well, on the record, off the record conversation. And I thought who better than our guest from way back in January, Mr. Dave Cornier of the Dave Berta Substack website, former podcast, Dave, thank you so much for doing this. This is an honor and a pleasure as always. Well, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's, an, it's an honor. Thank you. So, thank you so
1: much for, uh, for having me back, Chris. This is uh, I always love talking about I always love talking about politics. So anytime I can uh, exactly. get a get a, a podcast or a platform to talk about Alberta politics,
0: we can just go on for hours. So hey. I'm not sure your, your listeners will be here in hours, hours from now. Hey, who knows? Who knows? But um, as I said at the beginning, we are going to be talking about the UCP leadership because uh the rules came out, the price tag came out to enter, the rules around when memberships can be sold, the rules around when Uh, Voting would be taking place came out. Uh, I got to start off with the million dollar question. Were you surprised at the hefty price tag of $150,000 entrance fee and a $25,000 non-refundable goodwill don't do anything stupid during the campaign fee? (laughs) It's a, a good behavior fee, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a good behavior deposit.
1: Yeah, no, it's a steep, uh, it's a steep entry fee, and we don't usually see them this high in provincial politics. I know in the the last UCP leadership race, it, I think it was ninety five thousand dollars was the was the entry fee. Um, One hundred and fifty thousand dollars plus another twenty five thousand dollar deposit is that's a lot of money for. Um, it's, it's just a in general a lot of money, um, and I think it's meant to weed out candidates who you know might not be too serious um or you know might might not be able to raise that type of raise that type of money because there are a lot of candidates where you know who might not might who might be you know legitimate candidates in terms of they have interesting things to say um and they contribute to the race but you know if they can't raise that money they can't uh, they can't have a spot at the uh at the at the debate
0: podium and they can't have a spot on a ballot And the timeline that they actually have to pay the fees as well, because we're coming up to July 12th, which is less than a month away as of recording this. And that's when the first $50,000 is potentially needed to be deposited. Um, If I was a candidate, would I have already put my name in the ring to potentially even consider putting it out? Because we hear some feelers from people like Jason Nixon, people like Michelle Rempel-Gardner. I think there was uh, Drew Barnes has said that he's thinking about it. Is this trying to weed out, okay, we already have eight. If we get to 12, this is going to be a gong show of epic proportions, similar to the 2017 federal conservative leadership race where everyone and their mother seemed like they ran? Well, I mean, it can still be a gong show with four, <laughs> with four or five candidates. Um,
1: <laughs> True. I, I th- I, yeah, I think the first, I mean, I, 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 I don't think that the candidates will have much of a problem. Most of them will have much of a problem Uh, you know, raising the first $50,000 doing the first couple installments, I think when you get closer to the final deadlines, and you'll start to get a, I mean, the candidates will start to, will have a better idea of where they are in terms of fundraising. And also the candidates will have a better idea of where they are for membership sales. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's a crowded race right now, but, you know, we're going to start to see, and you can kind of see it, right, and you can kind of see the different kind of tiers of candidates right now as the race is starting, but as it goes on over the summer we're going to start to get a better idea of who the who the front runners are who the you know the the second place or the second tier candidates are and and that's when the when the you know and if they do stay in the race and if they are able to make those uh the make those uh those um uh, uh, uh entry fee deadlines um you know we will start you'll start to have some discussion around well whose second place votes go to who right because it's a preferential ballot so it's a first it, i'm I, i'm Excuse me if I'm skipping ahead in, the, in our, our discussion about this, but it's a one member, one vote yeah. um, race, right? So, But it's a preferential ballot. So when, uh, when a, uh, a member goes to vote, whether they go vote in person or they vote through the mail, they're going to choose their first, second, third, fourth candidates. And then the, the, the candidates with the, you know, the least amount will get knocked off and then their votes will be redistributed until one of the candidates gets more than 50% of the vote.
0: And this is the same way that the federal conservatives actually vote as well. It's sort of a cousins are working together here because I was at, I was at the Brian Jean event in Calgary last week, and uh, I was talking to one of his organizers and they were saying, basically what they did was took the rules from the federal leadership and they just like copied and pasted and put it into the provincial leadership race. So this, if you're looking at the federal race, it's the exact same, but a little bit scaled down for memberships and timeline compared to the federal mm-hmm. one that started a few months and, ago. And, and no point system, right? Thank Yeah, oh,
1: thank God. This is just a one member, one vote. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see where, where the memberships are sold. I mean, we saw in the in the UCP leadership review that happened last month, um, there was uh, a membership list that was leaked. I think it was just CBC. Jason Markosoff wrote, wrote an article about it and they had a, uh, uh, a really an interactive map that showed, you know, with the writings of the province and you could see where the most members of the UCP were and it was a very rural dominated, rural heavy membership vote or membership vote uh, in the UCP leadership race and, and not as much in, in the urban areas, which, which was surprising because when you go back to the old the days of the old Progressive Conservative Party, uh, you know the PCs would sign up a ton of members in rural Alberta, but they'd also sign up a ton of members in the in the urban ridings too. So you know w- who shows up to vote, uh, and and you know who who the who the membership base of the UCP is in this this leadership race will. We'll, uh, we'll define, we no, n- you know, no surprise, we'll define what the outcome is. But it'll be interesting to see who exactly is voting and who's be- participating in
0: this race. Before we talk about the candidates here a little bit more in depth, I, I, I've, been, I've been pondering a question that I've been trying to get someone to answer for me. And hopefully you being the guy who's followed Alberta politics for a long period of time can answer this. Jason Kenney, won the, technically he won the leadership review with fifty one point four four percent he resigned. Does this give the next leader of the UCP a goal to beat that 51.4% in this vote that is coming up in October? Because if I'm a leader and I'm going in and if I get 51.2% less than what Jason Kenney got and he says he has no mandate to govern, does this not put a target on these uh, candidates back to say, I need to get 60 or higher or I'm screwed going in because we're still a fractured caucus?
1: Yeah yeah I mean I think that I hadn't thought about that but yeah that's uh, uh that would be kind of a uh, it might be I mean it, people would, the, the chattering class people would definitely be talking about it if if the if the winner got 51.4 or less than 51.4% of the vote on in, on the uh, on the final ballot um I mean I think if you're you know if you're running in this leadership race you're running to, to win no matter what and 50% plus 1 in in this context yeah. means that they become the next leader and the next premier but you know, having a decisive win is definitely something that that uh, that would quash those kind of uh, that that kind of commentary and, and quash questions about whether the whether the UCP is uh, is you actually a United Conservative Party or not. But but the more people you get on the ballot, the you know the harder to harder it's going to be to kind of win decisively like that, um, especially if there's kind of two or three really strong candidates and the and their second place votes votes are all kind of split all over the place.
0: There is a lot of unknown candidates in this race. Um, And I I say that, and I'll explain what I mean by that in a few seconds here. But um, in the federal leadership race, you have four people who are relatively known besides Roman Baber. Let's just leave Roman off the table here for a second. You have Leslie Lewis, you have Patrick Brown, John Charest, and Pierre Polyev. Scott okay, Atkinson, okay, Atkinson's however you pronounce his last name, He's he might be well-known in Paris, Sound, Muskoka, not outside of that. In this race, you have uh, Danielle Smith, you have Brian Jean, and I would say Travis Taves, but even then, I don't think most people besides the political geeks like yourself and I would know who the Minister of Finance was under Jason Kenney or who the Minister of Finance was under Ralph Klein during his first term. The, Usually in provincial politics, you worry about who the premier is, and that's about it. Um, does that level the playing field a bit in this, in this upcoming leadership race where you have a Rebecca Schultz, you have a Rajon Swanee, you have Bill Rock, still don't know what he looks like, but mayor of a small town here in Alberta. Todd Lowen, do you kind of know who he is. Does this level the playing field when it comes to an open field? Because Pierre Polyev announced federally, he sort of took the wind out. You have these candidates in this UCP leadership race. There's not a lot of name recognition when it comes to who these people are outside of UCP circles.
1: Yeah. You know, I saw a poll or, or, uh, uh, results of a poll that came out yesterday or the day before. It was I can't remember which polling company did it, but they were polling the general public on name recognition. It was it was who would you support or, or who would you, who do you think would be the best next leader of the UCP? But really, I think what it was gauging was ended up gauging was name recognition because the two hot the two top names I think 20 around 23 or 26 percent each was was uh, Danielle Smith and Brian Jean, and those are two. Recognizable names they've been, but they've both been leaders of the Wildrose Party in the past. Both been leaders of the Wildrose official opposition, um, you know, and had been MLAs. And Danielle Smith has profiled through her radio, prog- former radio program, and as a uh, host on uh, on Global in years past. And and Brian Jean has been around for a long time as a member of Parliament, and and you know this ongoing fight with uh, with Jason Kenny. He's been getting quite a bit of me quite a bit of media attention over the past couple of years. Um, you know, the the other names were quite a bit lower. Travis Taves, I think, was around 12 or 13%. And then, you know, the other names were single digits because the general public doesn't really recognize them. But this isn't a race for the this, this isn't a race of the general for, for the general public. This is a race to sign up members for the for um, to vote in a party leadership race. So um, you know, I mean, name recognition is can be a double-edged sword, I would say, especially with someone like Danielle Smith. Uh, you know there's a lot of people who remember what she did in December 2014 when she crossed the floor to the from the wild Rose to the Progressive conservatives and led uh, seven or eight of her MLAs to go with her and and you know there's a lot of real there's a lot of bitterness that still exists out there and and you know people don't necessarily don't necessarily forget that so I'd say name recognition can be a bit of a double-edged sword um, but uh, but when it comes to uh, uh, you know selling memberships you know I mean it's looking at you know who's when you're looking at a leadership race, who's holding, who's who has endorsements from MLAs? Who's getting, you know, key supporters from inside the party? Who's, you know, if, if there's community supporters who are going out and selling memberships, um, you know, who's holding big rallies or events? I mean, I saw Rajan and so- uh, held, a um, a rally in Calgary and I'm told there were six or 700 people there. I know. I, I, can, Taves... confr-
0: I can confirm that yeah. because I was there and it was, it start it was supposed to start at six and then people slowly started showing up. If you know, Northeast politics, Northeast Calgary politics, you know, when something says it starts at six, it actually means 645. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, and Travis Taves is having a rally at the, uh,
1: River Cree, um, hotel at, uh, at the Enoch at Enoch um, west of Edmonton, I think next week. So, you know, we'll start to see kind of, okay, well, who's, you know, who has establishment support? Who looks like they're getting people interested in them? I mean, it, it's it's kind of hard, it's hard to gauge at this point because it is such a kind of a, I don't want to say an open, I mean, it is an open race um, and there's so many unknowns and we don't know whether candidates like Michelle Rempel Garner are going to join the race, um, or I mean, there there could be others who, who decide
0: who decide to jump in as well. So well, who knows? But with the, with everything the way that it's going right now, who's going to join this race? Uh, I, I want to talk about uh, the the unknowns in this race right now because there are, like you said, many who's going to come in, who's going to drop out before that first ballot is even printed to get sent out to uh, get people to vote. What is the biggest unknown in your uh, in your opinion right now facing this leadership race? Is it the short time frame? Is it the unknown who's going to enter? Is it the unknown who's going to be on the ballot? What is the unknown that you're watching in this race right now? Well, I mean, I think that just to kind of address the the, the three things the
1: three three unknowns that you brought up. I mean, I think that you know the short time frame time frame and the, the very early cutoff uh, for membership sales, which I think is August twelfth, which is super early because the lead the the actual leadership vote. I mean, it's it's a it can be a mail in vote or it can be an in person vote, but they're not announcing the new leader until October sixth. So having a you know this is this avoids the the situation that the old Progressive Conservative Party found itself in, in, uh, in all of its leadership races going back to 1992 is you had these kind of what were people who were coined as two minute Tories basically people who could, you know, go go to the voting station on voting day, buy a PC party membership and five minutes later vote in leadership race. Um, And we saw, I mean, Ralph Klein, that helped Ralph Klein in 1992 on the second ballot. It, it was the reason why Alison Redford defeated Gary Maher. It was the reason why Ed Stelmack defeated Jim Denning in, in 2006. Um, This, the leadership rules that the UCP has created isolate, I think they're designed to isolate the party establishment from that sort of phenomenon to have this, whereas the PC party used to make, PC party supporters used to make this argument back uh, you know, 15, 20 years ago, that the, the leadership race was the real election because the PC party had such a hold electorally. There wasn't a competitive opposition party that this was the this was the way Albertans could directly choose the next premier of Alberta. And it was the most democratic way and, and it was the real election. And I mean I rolled my eyes thinking about it. But but that was that was the argument and and legitimately like that was kind of it was kind of true at the time. Um, but it's not true now. Uh, and you know the UCP is you know, they're, they're not the PC party of, of the days of your and, uh, and their leadership race is designed to, to I would argue, protect uh, estab- protect establishment candidates from this kind of uh,
0: insurgence. Um, the other unknown that I want to talk about is the candidates. We, 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 yeah. we still don't know what the field is going to look like, right? We currently have eight, which we're going to talk about later on, but there are names that are speculated to come out. If a big name like a Michelle Rempel-Gardner, which uh, lover or hater, because I know if you listen to Twitter, everyone seems to have an opinion on uh, Michelle Rempel-Gardner. Does that clear the field of some of these candidates or does it just a- add a- another person into the ever-growing list of candidates who have put their name forward for this uh, position? I think it adds another, it adds <laughs> another person. So it doesn't. Uh, until- it doesn't clear the field at all, you don't think?
1: Not, not yet I mean I think we'll start to see the fee I mean you might have a candidate or two drop out ahead of the the fee deadlines um you know but I think until you start you know I mean I think you'll see the candidates go through the first and second uh dead you know fee deadlines and then you know you may see them drop out you know before before the final uh the final um uh, the final fees are due uh, and final entry fees are due because they just it's not either they can't Raise enough money to pay the fees and run a credible leadership race, or they just look at the writing on the wall and they say, "Well, I'm going to place eighth in a race of nine. Um, do I really want to be that person? Who, you know, do, do I really want to want to be that person, or do I want to bow out and potentially endorse someone who could be the next, who could win and be the next premier and, and get in their good graces that way? Um, so there's a bit of you know positioning, positioning that way, and you know, and hand over your membership lists and hand over, try to you know, conv- try to convince your supporters to support them. Um, so you could see that, especially if the race gets top heavy, if there are like four or five kind of front runner candidates, um, which, which there could potentially be in this race. It's like you said, it's still, there's still, there's still a lot of, a lot of unknowns and it is crowded and, you know, we have no re, you know, there's, we'll go through the, cam. you said, we'll go through the candidates yeah. in, in a, in a, later in the podcast, but, you know, going through the list, there's a few who are, you know, I could see being front runners or I could potentially see being the next premier. But there's and there no... are a few who are front runners who who you know who I could also not see being the next premier as well. So there's no Pierre in this race, is there? Though? No, and that's no. I, I don't go ahead. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't think so. I mean, I there. I mean, there's no one who's really captured people's attention like Pierre Polyev has or Polliver, I think that's what he calls himself. Um, hey, uh, has on the federal level. I mean, with you know these punchy social media uh, videos, you know, kind of. Really keying, in, really really keying in on on issues that that uh, that that are on people's mind in a way that uh, you know aggressively in a way that no other politician is doing. Um, I don't see that in this race yet, um, and I don't know if we will. It's a different kind of race because I mean this is these these people are running to be the leader of a party that has been floundering for the past two years that has been. Um, you know, down in the polls, down in fundraising, and that has ha- is, is has just kicked out for all intents and purposes, a very unpopular leader, um, who is also its founder. Um, so there's a, you know, there's a bit of a different dynamic if they were running against, um, you know, if, if the NDP were in government, uh, I think you'd, you'd hear a lot of more about, you know, these candidates would position themselves about like they're running against Premier Rachel Notley. Um, we've heard a little bit of that in from uh, from Brian Jean talking about how the you know the, he's the only one who can stop the NDP from forming government. But um, you know they're they're kind of they're running from their own legacy uh, in a way, and are running from the the policies that uh, that they all supported for the most, not all of them, but most of them supported uh, that ended up leading to their party being so unpopular. So you know, and they're also running against the person who's currently in the job. Uh, which is, which who is also part of their party. So there's, there's all sorts of weird dynamics here. Um, So it'll be interesting to see just how loud they are in terms of, you know, of, of, uh, of criticizing their party and trying to, what, what they're going to do to, uh, to differentiate themselves from, uh, from Premier Kenny, especially the, the candidates who are former cabinet ministers who up until a week or two ago were sitting around the same cabinet table as him. And presumably, you know, I don't want to say taking orders, but, you know, Uh, implementing the agenda that he's he's been
0: championing. championing. Going out and selling those agendas, those lockdown measures. Uh, I I, I went to the majority of the announcements that happened in Calgary. I think I missed one just because I I missed the date and the press release. Um, Not one candidate spoke about Jason Kenney, did not mention his name, did not even utter the name, did not even think about saying the name. And it wasn't until after when we actually had the scrums with the media that. The name came out, but it was like like ripping a tooth out because they didn't want to actually say his name because they wanted to stay as far away as possible from him. Mm-hmm. Are we going to see a race where Jason Kenny is a non-factor in a race to replace Jason Kenney? <laughs> uh, I
1: think there'll be some candidates who do try to make it a factor. I mean, I, you know, the party's kind, try, kind of trying to run away from him, it. and it'll be it'll be interesting to see how that how successful that is. And and I mean, one one of the I'm, I talk about the old the old go back to talk about the old pc party again but one like one of the, the keys to the success of the old pc party they had like a remarkable self-preservation instinct and like it helped them hold on to majority government power in this province for 43 straight years uninterrupted which is you know a huge political accomplishment they became they became the natural governing party but they were able to but they, they weren't the same party as they started out with they were able to reinvent themselves Every time they they had a new leader. So when Peter Lougheed was in in the, in the mid early mid eighties, when he was getting a little long on the tooth, the economy wasn't doing so well. People were getting grumpy because of oil prices uh, and the recession. The party reinvented itself under Don Getty. Um, that you know they were able to maintain their maintain their majorities. It didn't go as spectacularly under Getty as it did under Lougheed, but you know reached the point a number of years later. Don Getty was also unpopular. So the you know he was he resigned slash was pushed out, um, and uh, and they chose Ralph Klein, who totally reinvented the wheel. And the Ralph Klein's Progressive Conservative Party was very different. It was a very different political beast than Don Getty's party and, and Peter Lougheed's party. And you saw this. You see this. This this happened again under Stelmack, Happened again under under Alison Redford. And then you know they finally lost their juice and uh, and couldn't do it again. And you know the magic spark was gone when uh, when Jim Prentice finally became premier. And, uh, and they weren't able to reinvent themselves again. But you know, 43 years being able to do that is, is you know, again and again and again is a, is a pretty remarkable political achievement. Now, it'll be very interesting to see whether the UCP can do that. Now, you know, the, the political environment is pretty different now than it would have been under the old PCs. You have a official opposition leader who is a former premier, who's running leading her party into the next election and has been doing very well in the polls and very well in fundraising. That is very different than any other case. I mean, the last, uh, you know, the last. I mean, they've never. I don't think we've ever had a former premier run in this province lead a party into another election after they lost the previous election. I mean, Harry Strom resigned when yeah. uh, when the PC party won in seventy one, and Jim Prentice resigned, as we all know, on election night in in two thousand fifteen. So, um, you know, it's having. You know, you're going to have to find someone who, uh, you know, who who. Uh, you know, can can play, can reinvent the, the, the reinvent what it means to be a UCP government in in uh, in that kind of electoral dynamic where you do have an opposition leader who's who is who can walk into the premier's office and be premier tomorrow because she's done it before and does have MLAs in the legislature who have been cabinet ministers before and will know how to do it again. This isn't like 2015 where the NDP walked in and you know didn't know any of the passwords and didn't know where the washrooms were and you know, but you know because it was such a shock that they won. Yeah. Um, you know, these are people who have been cabinet ministers before and and can be cabinet ministers and might be cabinet ministers again. So, you know, it's, we're, the mold is broken in Alberta. And, uh, you know, we, it's a, it's a, we are this new electorally competitive environment that, uh, that hasn't really existed before. And I mean, you know, it's existed since 2015, but it's it's still something we got to, we're, we're getting used to in Alberta. and, And I think, even the, our, our politicians aren't really used to it. Conservatives in Alberta aren't used to being having Challenged. to face like real challenge and real uh, electoral competition. I mean outside of Edmonton and you know Northeast Calgary and central Calgary, like' it's, it's usually a slam dunk, but it's not anymore.
0: You, you mentioned and it's
1: not, not going to be for the next UCP leader either.
0: No. you mentioned a premier that has been spoken more times in at uh, leadership uh, launches than I thought I would ever hear, and that is Ralph Klein. Ralph Klein is on everyone's mind right now. Um, when you talk to people in the audience, they say, I, I'm looking for the next Ralph Klein. Why does Ralph Klein still hold such a godlike status, a deity status in conservative politics in this province? I, I don't think it's just unique to conservative politics. I think it's, just, it's,
1: it's, it's it's like it's an Alberta-wide phenomenon. I mean, Ralph Klein had was able to uh, you know, for all his faults, and he did have them, and he was mostly upfront with them, which was kind of part of his personality. Um, you know, he was able to appeal to, to a real broad cross section of Albertans. You know, from you know pe- geographically across the province. You know, socio socioeconom- socioeconomically, you know, from uh, you know across across the spectrum, um, and it, you know, a lot of it had to do with his with his personality or the character that he created as Ralph Klein, as, you know, he was known as he was a, you know, a a reporter in Calgary. He was mayor of Calgary during a time, you know, where, where, you know, Calgary had gone through some hard times and, and uh, he was able to lead them through, you know, some pretty exciting times through the uh, 1988 Olympics. And I know a lot of people have really fond memories of that. And, you know, when he entered the you know, when he became
0: uh,
1: uh a cabinet minister when he you know ran in the leadership race in in in, uh, in 1992 it was very much a uh, you know the the pc party needed to reinvent itself at, at that point and you know it, i was tweeting about it the other day because we've heard and this just shows how put a political giant political nerd i am we've just passed the 29th anniversary of the 1993 provincial election folks um, which don't was like I didn't think,
0: don't think I didn't think that that when I asked that question
1: <laughs> Yeah it, and it was a competitive election it was uh, I mean you know the, the conservatives won and they won with I think 51 seats but the Liberal party of all parties um, did very well and almost formed government the, under Lawrence decor who was the former mayor of Edmonton so you had a former mayor of Calgary under with Klein running for the running the, the uh, um, for the pcs and you had uh, Lawrence Decor, the former mayor of Edmonton, leading the Liberals, and um, so it was kind of a you know battle of the two cities, and uh, and Ralph Klein prevailed, but it wasn't necessarily always going to be the case. I mean, I think that the changing the leadership was was a big part of it because Don Getty was so unpopular in his final days, and you know if you if you look back at. The political commentary and the polling, there's a good chance, I think there's probably a good chance that the Liberals would have won the election if Don Getty had remained leader of the PC party. Um, and imagine that, what a weird, what a strange, or what a strange twist that would have been in Alberta politics if the if the Liberal Party had formed government in, in the 1990s in Alberta. Um, but, uh, you know, Ralph Klein was like a real foil to that. And, uh, um, you know, Lawrence Decor was he was obviously very successful campaigning against Don Getty and his brand of progressive conservatism, but the PC party was able to reinvent itself. And, and they called it the miracle on the prairies is what, uh, is what, uh, what, what it was coined when, when the, uh, the PC party was reelected in 1993. Um, and I mean, Ralph Klein reinvented that party in a lot of ways. I mean, he gutted the kind of the old Lougheed Getty establishment. A lot of those old uh, or veteran MLAs were pushed out or pushed out of cabinet or pushed out of their nominations. Um and he recruited a whole new generation of, of people to um uh to uh to join the PC party and join the run as MLAs. And and you know, in the 90s there was a there was a he he led Alberta through a bit of an upswing, and I think people have a have some positive uh recollection of that with the the price of oil and the price of natural gas. Um, that you know, there was an optimism. I mean, obviously there's that's not how everybody feels about Ralph Klein. There, you know, he did some things that had some I would argue had some pretty disastrous long-term impacts on Alberta in terms of massive cuts to healthcare, massive cuts to education, massive cuts to post-secondary education. And but um, you know when but he really kind of captured that moment around that that that, it, that really uh, um, captured he captured the moment that was that that uh, that had been, that had that itself had captured political parties across the political political spectrum in Canada which was you know debt reduction and deficit reduction you saw in the 90s new democrat governments in Saskatchewan slashing the budget and closing hospitals you had you know conservative governments in Alberta liberal governments in in Ottawa doing the same thing so um he got ahead of the band I mean a lot of ways he got ahead of the bandwagon and and, uh and led the parade in that way but um but but, and he he sparked a conservative
0: movement across the country as well because. With his election, we've got Mike Harris in Ottawa. We saw more conservative uh, premiers out in Atlantic Canada. So Ralph Klein was kind of the spark that lit the match that was the conservative movement slash the, like you said, the slash and burn kind of uh, to slash and burn to your budget where we got to keep uh, prices down, which we're not seeing right now. We're seeing the complete opposite. So it mm-hmm. is Ralph Klein is, while he's an Alberta politician, you talk to Ontarians and I was there a few weeks ago and they they know who Ralph Klein is and I guarantee you they probably don't know who Ed Stalmack is or (laughs) Alison Redford is so Ralph Klein is nationally known I would say so I agree yeah yeah and and he also won big majority governments after after that so you know that
1: after he left the PC party it was pretty it was pretty chaotic after that i'd say after the 2001 election you get into being pretty chaotic and that was actually it was it was uh um kind of ironic because that was the you know welcome to ralph's world election that's where he stood up on stage and you know on election night where the pc party had decimated the opposition and uh, and won i think 72 or 74 seats out of 83 and you know he said welcome welcome to ralph's world and uh you know that in a way in a lot of ways that was kind of the beginning of the end because the uh the pc party the pc caucus at that point just became totally unruly because they had too many mla too many backbenchers and uh, not enough work for them so yeah. you know you got to keep people busy and give them meaningful work otherwise they're gonna cause
0: trouble for the for the leadership or do their own thing right hence what we see here um last question before we start talking about the candidates and that is timeline um hmm. This race is happening during the summer. I'm not sure about you, but not a lot of people are paying attention to what's happening in the political realm while they're out in Kananaskis, while they're out going to drum heller. This is going to be a very sleeper of an election, a leadership race. And that's just me saying that, that's, that's just my observation, because you don't capture the people who you want to go out to your rallies to buy memberships. It's harder to do that, particularly when the cutoff is August twelfth. Is this going to be a hindrance for the candidates while they're trying to crisscross the province, try to sign up members, and try to make sure that they come out and actually sign up? I think. I mean, I think it'll be a hindrance for some candidates, and I think it's.
1: I think in a way, it's designed to kind of weed out the less serious candidates or weed weed out the weaker candidates. Um, You know, there's still all of July. There's Calgary Stampede. There's um, I can't remember when the Pinoca Stampede is uh, is being held, but there are, you know these there are big events in Alberta within these windows where you know you're going to see conservative can these UCP leadership candidates show up with cowboy hats. You know some of them will look a little more comfortable in cowboy no. hats than others. Uh, you know it's it's uh, it's political cosplay season in in, in Alberta. Huh. Um, so there, there there are big events. It is a short timeline, but I think you'll I think you'll end up seeing. Uh, the candidates will hit the barbecue circuit. Um, you'll probably have UCP constituency associations organizing fundraising events for leadership candidates to attend and and uh, and meet members and speak to members. And and the candidates will be holding their own kind of pop up events and and rallies and barbecues around around the province. So I don't know. I think yeah, people go on vacation and people don't really want to pay attention to politics. But I you know summers. I think summer's kind of a fine time to 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 hold something like this because people are people are outside and and uh, and doing stuff. It's not like uh, it's wintertime and you know people don't barely want to leave their houses if it's uh, if it's too cold. Uh,
0: I I will agree to disagree. I think it's gonna be a, it's gonna be what okay. I'm watching. That's for fine. And, <laughs> that's the great thing about yeah, this. Yeah. We can disagree, and I I just think. If you want to capture people, like, understandable, you don't want to do it in the middle of winter when people are buying Christmas gifts. And it's no matter what time, you're going to always have someone like myself who's always going to be the pessimist in the room saying, it's a bad time to do it. Um, But let's talk candidates. Eight candidates have announced. Um, I'm going to go in kind of order as they announced. So that way I can get your... The pros and cons of the candidates and I'll, I'll throw the name out and you can give me the pros and cons and where you think they can are going to probably do better in and. I guess he announced, like, sort of the day after he lost the last leadership race, that he was going to run for a leadership race. And that is Brian Gene. And I, mm-hmm. I mean that with no, uh, no dis- disrespect, but it has always been on probably his mind that he was going to run again. Former leader of the Wild Rose uh, Party, he was merged with uh, Jason Kenney's PC party to form the United Conservative Party. He lost. What's his pro in this race? Is it, I'm not Kenny? Well i mean I'm not Kenny as
1: a pro for uh anyone for, for, for all of the candidates at this at at this point i mean the you know i mean brian Jean the the golden boy of fort Mcmurray uh you know he's been running against Jason Kenney since uh, since the uh, the last UCP leadership race, since he lost the last UCP leadership race. And he has a, you know, he has a grudge. He had, he had, he had a revenge motive to go after Jason Kenney. I mean, we, we, we all know the, the RCMP apparently are still investigating the Kamikaze campaign and everything that happened around that. So, you know, he was, you know, whether, whether or not he would have won the race anyway, if it were a fair race, I don't know back in 2017, but I mean, I think he was, he was legitimately wronged and he had some grievance and, and he thinks he can do a better job. Better job. And he returned to politics basically for the sole purpose of, of defeating Jason Kenny and uh, and running in this leadership race. So his his intent. I mean, to get I guess to give him points, he's not playing coy. His his uh, his intent has been clear this whole time. Um, and he obviously was able to help mobilize a lot of UCP members to get out and vote against Kenny in the leadership review. What will be interesting is whether those members uh, will then turn around in October and vote for Brian Jean. Um, you know, he's got name recognition. He's been around Alberta politics. It was, you know, he he, he didn't almost form government in 2016, but he, he revived the Wild Rose Party in 2015 where when it was sitting on the uh, on the edge of the abyss after after Daniel Smith had crossed the floor. So, um I would you know whether he has whether he has a chance? I definitely put him in one of the, as one of the front running candidates. Would you? Um, would
0: he be I, I think I would. Just for name recognition or just because he he has the backing of kind of the establishment of the Wild Rose party because uh, I'm assuming that forty eight point seven percent or forty eight point six percent who voted uh, for uh, ousting Jason Kenney is probably in the Brian Jean camp, wouldn't it be? i I'd say like probably a lot of them would fit in in like fit
1: comfortably in the Brian Jean camp. I don't know if all of them would. I think I mean, it's overstated, um, it might be a little over. I mean, we overstate what the reasons were, why, for why people voted against, voted against Jason Kenney in the, in the leadership review. There were a lot of reasons. I mean, the, the, the reasons that Brian Jean was talking about are, are certain, were certainly part of it, but, um, and I'd imagine that a lot of them would probably find, probably be comfortable, but we're also talking about, like, in the, UC, in the UCP leadership review, that was a, like a a relatively small number of people compared to some of the leadership races we've seen in this province. I think there was only 30,000 people who ended up voting in the leadership review. I, I would expect, and you know, I, it's a big problem if they don't have more than 30,000 people voting in this, uh, in this leadership race, I would expect it to be higher than, I don't know what the number is, but I would expect it to be higher than Um, 30,000. So I, 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 I put Brian Jean in like the top tier candidates. I don't necessarily think I'd, I'd say he's like, I, Pin, I wouldn't necessarily pin him as the, the one to win right now, but I think he's up there.
0: So the next person that announced was at the general meeting in Red Deer while Jason Kenny was speaking on stage. She was giving an interview, if I'm not mistaken, to the Western Standard where she said, <laughs> if Jason Kenny loses, I'm running for the leadership. And that is other former Wild Rose leader, turned yes. progressive conservative MLA, Miss Danielle Smith. Um, she has some baggage that she probably has to deal with. Would would she be considered a front runner even with her baggage? I, I have a
1: hard time. I, th- I think Daniel Smith is a serious candidate. Like I think she's taking this seriously, but I I have a hard time seeing her as a front runner candidate in this race, even with her name recognition. I think that there are a lot of conservatives in this province who still, you know, who who will not forget what happened in uh, in. 2014. We'll not forget the floor crossing. And do
0: they blame her for
1: electing an NDP government, do you think? I think some of them probably do. Okay. Um I, I don't think it was, you know, I think Jim Prentice had a lot. I mean, it, she helped create the circumstances the, yeah. the the that that helped elect the the NDP government. I don't know if she if I don't know if she had still been Wild Rose leader going into the 2015 or 2016 election if they'd, you know, respected the the fixed election date. <laughs> Um, you know, maybe the NDP would have, would, would have won anyway. I don't, I don't know. I think that there were in 2015. There was just such a, like a unique series of, of circumstances, you know, Jim Prentice ran a fantastically horrible campaign and Rachel Notley ran a fantastically excellent campaign. And, you know, there was a mood for time for change and the economy was crashing and people were grumpy and it all kind of just it was the right magic at the right time. And I don't know if you could re- I don't know if you could recreate that. If Daniel Smith had been the Wildrose uh, leader at the time, maybe she would have been become premier after that point or more, uh, or maybe not. Um, but yeah, I, th- and I think she's, you know, following her, her email new popular email newsletter that she sends out and, you know, her, some of her comments in her final days as, uh, as a host on, uh, on the chorus uh, radio network, I think it, it seemed pretty clear that she's shifted. Uh, you know, a little far to the right, pretty far to the right on some, pol- on some political issues. And I think as Wild Rose leader in, 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 her final years, I think she was really trying to position herself as a more moderate conservative and, and, you know, to the, to the angst of her party. And, uh, you know, I mean, in a lot of ways, it was her own, the, the Wild Rose base that pushed back uh, against her, um, become, you know, trying to position them as a, as a, as a more moderate uh, conservative political party. So I, I, I wonder if she, in terms of like the who who's voting in the leadership race. I really wonder if she's competing, like if there's like a pool of of kind of people who fall into the kind of COVID anti-COVID public health measures, anti-maskers, um, conspiracy theorists types. I wonder if she's competing with other candidates for the same votes. And I'm thinking people like Brian Jean, who's kind of toyed with that, and and uh, and Todd Lowen as well, who um, infamously, at uh, least in some in political circles, took, drove his motor home to Ottawa to join the uh, the convoy slash occupation.
0: Um, do, by having two former leaders of the Wild Rose, does this hurt both of them at the same time as well? Because that's always what I've been thinking for the last few minutes, the last few days, is having two, part, two leaders of the, the once Wild Rose Party... I can't imagine that there's some allegiance to Brian Jean, but there's also allegiance to Daniel Smith. Or is it an open field? And what happened in the Wild Rose happened in the Wild Rose? Uh, is this even something that I should be thinking about?
1: I, you know, I think, I think there, you know, there might be, um, you know, former Wild Rose voters who they know, who they've identified, um, who they're gonna go after. But I think Brian Jean in particular, and, and Daniel Smith, I think they really have their own brands. For, for better or for worse, they have their own political brands um in in the in this conservative well in Alberta politics but in this kind of conservative political world so um yeah I guess we'll see um you know I think they you know in some ways they'll they'll be competing for for uh for similar votes because they're in talking about the same issues they're talking about uh autonomy for Albertans they're talking about you know the sovereignty bill the sovereign Alberta sovereignty act they're talking about you know all these kind of pseudo-separatist stuff i mean they should just come out and say if they have autonomy for
0: albertans
1: there you go you got the sign behind you oh, i, I f- mean if they don't you know in, in, especially in daniel smith's case um you know proposing this sovereignty act if i mean I, I tweeted this the other day is if if she doesn't want alberta to be part of canada she should just come out and say so like none of this kind of like these games toying around saying we want more sovereignty we want more autonomy just like if you want to be if you want the Republic of Alberta, then just say you want the Republic of Alberta. Yeah. But you know, this we're, we're just going to get. It's it, it. What this says to me is, you know, these are candidates who are. I mean, they're appealing to a certain voter, you know, and, and they're 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 honing in on grievance politics. Um, you know, a long tradition of grievance politics. Um, but uh, but when we saw what that what what that led to over the past three years, and that's just like lawsuits. You know, the Alberta government paying lawyers lots of money to go to Ottawa and lose cases. And
0: uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the one thing, the one thing I, I, I just want to throw this plug in here for a second. Sure. The one thing that I, I, I got a chance to sit down with Brian Jean uh, at his leadership at Launch in Calgary here. And he said the thing that the lead, next leader of the UCP needs to do is not be a sore winner. I still don't know what that means, but he, he says that the leader, the leader can't be a sore winner. I'm not sure if he is speaking of Jason Kenney being a sore winner, but I, I questioned him and said, like, you being a sore loser about losing the race. He said, I wasn't sore about that. I left politics for a reason. So I still don't understand that. And Maybe he maybe the next leader is not gonna be a sore winner. And I just wanna shamelessly plug that for a second here. I, yeah, no, I, th- I, th- I think that's, a, that, that's, that's interesting, an interesting comment
1: from Gene, and I think that's probably a good point. I think we could use a dose, and if this is what he means, I think we could probably use a dose of humility in Alberta politics yeah. from our leaderships. And I don't think that, I mean, humility and Jason Kenney are not two words that I associate with each other. And, and you know, they, they won a big majority, but, you know, you kept on hearing them talk about how they won a big majority. Um, so maybe that maybe that's what he means. Um,
0: I, I know I said 45 minutes. Do you have a few more minutes to chat? I do, Is... I, I do, I do, I do. <laughs> okay. I I know I just saw the time. I was like, oh, okay, okay. Um, we'll try and do these as quick, quickly, quicker though, because then sure. we're getting we're getting into the lesser known candidates now. And the next one was Bill Rock, mayor of uh, Ashtrick, if I'm not mistaken. Is that Amisk or Amisk? Okay. Um didn't know who this gentleman was before he announced um i, I again don't know what he looks like factoring in this race is he running to say something because he's in uh Nate Horner's riding drumheller stetler so this is not a riding he's going to potentially run for the nomination
1: yeah i you know he he ran for the Wild Rose Party as their candidate in, as a parachute candidate in 2015 in the Camrose, uh, Wetaskiwin Camrose riding. Um, he's, I, I, read, I read, a, read a couple articles where he's been interviewed. He wants to put rural issues in the spotlight. But I mean, from what I've seen from his social media, he's talking about things like protecting the ability of, uh, protecting the right of police to wear thin blue lion patches and stuff like that. So he's obviously taking a very kind of like, right wing populist online meme
0: type, uh, uh, position. So I don't, I don't necessarily, I don't think he's going to be much of a factor in this campaign. Travis tapes, the former minister of finance under Jason Kenney. He was the sort of the, the, as anyone knows about minister of finance, your, your worst job is saying no to everyone when, especially when they come to you and ask, um, he has the backing of 23 MLAs across this province. Um, while endorsements may not matter because if you look at the previous PC leadership races, the person with the most endorsements did not ultimately win Allison Redford Ed Stelmack. Um, is Travis Taves too close to Jason Kenney to run an effective campaign against Jason Kenney? This is the, uh, this is the curse of the
1: establishment candidates, right? <laughs> yeah. You never, you never, you never want to be the front runner, right? Uh, but it seemed that, I mean, it seems like Taves is positioning himself as as the front runner. He has, you know, he came out with this big caucus endorsement, uh, you know, twenty three or twenty four ML, I mean, twenty four MLAs, including himself. Yeah, so twenty three MLAs. Um, you know, Sonia Savage from Calgary, the Energy Minister, is co chairing his campaign. Chris Workaton from from up north, the MP from uh, from Grand Prairie, is uh, is his other co chair. Um, you know, he has endorsements from people like Tyler Shandro and Shane Getzen, which is kind of a mixed bag, but there's also a, a whole bunch of other, you know, UCPMLAs with, uh, with less offensive political, uh, political records, uh, uh, Jonathan who, who have, Dennis endorsed, and,
0: endorsed him oh, as well.
1: Oh, well, there's, <laughs> that's yeah. it game over this is might as well just like give it to it in, everyone else it's uh we don't even need to have the vote on on october 6th jonathan dennis has endorsed Travis he was Davis. there and i was standing beside rick bell while uh
0: jonathan dennis walked by and said he's the real deal i was like oh okay oh that's so, great that's okay. great
1: yeah yeah well so being the established in candidate you know brings people brings people to support you like like jonathan dennis um uh he is he, yeah, is he I mean, the perceived front runner right now? I think so. I think so. And I mean, Taves is a to give to give him credit, he does sound like compared to like a number a lot compared to a lot of his colleagues in the UCP cabinet, he sounds like an adult when he talks. He doesn't get involved in these kind of weird political games that people like Shandro and Adrienne, Adriana Lagrange will get these political games. Um, he's kind of, at least publicly, so he's publicly kind of stayed out of this stuff. Um, and, uh, yeah, he sounds like an adult. He looks like, he looks like he's comfortable wearing a business suit and he looks like he's just as comfortable wearing coveralls and rubber boots on his farm. Uh, So, so, you know, this is my, he's, he's, he's not going to look dumb riding a, a horse in the Calgary stampede parade.
0: True. (laughs) <laughs> I want to I want to I want to just say this before we move on to the next one. I, I like I said I've gone to many of the leadership race yeah. announcements and I, I've talked to some of the staffers of these political candidates and I've said who's your biggest challenge, and they they talk about some of the candidates and they talk about Taves and whenever the conversation goes to Taves is as long as Taves shows up without having mud on his shirt then he might actually be a credible candidate. And this is harkened back to that leadership launch photo where there was either mud or cow manure or whatever on his uh, shirt. And mm-hmm. the other candidates staffers are saying, oh, he's he's disqualified himself because he didn't look professional. Oh, it's like, really? That is, that is such
1: inside baseball. <laughs> Nobody cares. Like, it's come a- on people. Like, <laughs> thank you. It's probably uh, a bonus, like, you know.
0: Yeah, like you said, he looks yeah. like he's comfortable wearing a, a business suit, but looks comfortable wearing a cowboy hat and overalls downtown Calgary. So yeah, he's yeah. a farmer. Um uh, yeah. I, I think
1: I think he's gonna be running from Kenny because he is Kenny's cabinet. He is Kenny's finance minister and he's yeah. been implementing Kenny's agenda. Um as far as we can tell, happily implemented Kenny's agenda. So there, you know, he's he is open, open to to criticism that on on top of that.
0: This, uh, just right around the corner from Grand Prairie Wapiti is uh, Peace River Central Notley, if I'm not mistaken, is the writing. Former or former UCP MLA, former Wild Rose MLA, now turned independent MLA because we're still not sure if he's allowed back into caucus or not because <laughs> Jason Kenny's still there. But Todd Lowen, um, I, what do I say about Todd Lowen? What's your thoughts on Todd, Dave? <laughs> Let's go with that instead.
1: You know, he's been running, he's him and him and Drew Barnes have formed this like, unaf- this UCP caucus in exile, since they were kicked out of the UCP caucus last summer and they've been traveling around the province and, and holding meetings and and criticizing Kenny and calling on Kenny to resign. And, um, and, you know, probably doing everything they can to try to convince another another few UCP MLAs to come sit with them so they can get the funding to for the four MLAs, uh, so they can get the funding to form an official, uh, official recognized caucus in the, in the legislature um but yeah I don't you know I, I I I can't I mean I can't see him winning um he's but he's a he's
0: a he's like one of those middle packs isn't he he's one of those I think Kansas so, yeah that, he's gonna raise the money I think he knows people that oh, can probably so. raise the yeah. money I just don't know where his people go to because they won't go to Taves that will they go oh. to oh. Dr- oh. Brian Jean <laughs> yeah I don't know I mean I you, you have all these
1: former Wild Rose MLAs who are, uh, who are in the race. And you, you know, you have to, I have to wonder, like, whether we're going, to, we're going to reach the point where there's kind of just like this critical mass where there's too many of them and they're going to start to have to drop out and, and endorse people. I can see Taves being on the ballot and, and, you know, he's pro-freedom convoy. He's talked about all those issues. He was a you crit- mean big critic it, of right? the COVID restrictions. Lowen, who did I say? <laughs> you said tapes. I was like, oh no, <laughs> no, no, not not tapes. Sorry, no, no, I, I right. meant Lowen. Sorry. Right. Yeah, Lowen. <laughs> um, uh, is uh, you know, he was was supportive of the of the freedom convoy and and their initiative, you know, what what they stood for. So they're a very you know and that's a very active you know a very active group uh, politically who you know who did go out and buy memberships to vote against kenny and you know they might see that that lowen was with them and you know along the way and lowen might be the one that they uh, that they support that they decided to throw their support behind so i you know i i, I can't see him winning the race I, I think that's a bit of a stretch but uh he definitely
0: could be a factor in terms of the you know if he's able to engage that group to, the last uh, one, I, the last candidate I want to talk about a little bit more in depth, then we'll talk mm-hmm. about the last three even few minutes is yeah. Leela here, former yeah. cabinet minister, got reassigned to the backbench after she uh, openly criticized Jason Kenney and called him for him to resign mm-hmm. uh, or step down after Sky Palace Gate or wh- however we're calling it these days. Um, she is kind of the hidden leadership race in this whole thing, in my opinion, because I, I, I know the campaign manager who is running the campaign, and I've said openly to her, I'm a political nerd. If I can't find your leadership announcement on a website or on your social media, it's, it's scary. So what's your opinion on where Leela here is going with this leadership race? I, I don't know. Uh, I know I, l- I watched
1: her the video of her launch. She talked about how she was running against the machines, um, and I mean she means the like the political machines. Um, you know she's a outsider, but not really an outsider because she's been a she, you know she's been a cabinet minister. She's still in the UCP caucus. She was a a wild another wild rose MLA, former wild rose MLA who's who's in this race. I don't know where she positions herself. I mean she's she's kind of positioned herself as you know trying to be a bit politically moderate she criticized the Kenny government over or criticized Kenny over the Sky Palace patio party she's um you know she has a persona as being a nice person who people generally like and is agreeable um but I don't necessarily know that that's really enough to win a leadership race or I, I just don't see where her... I, I you know have to wait to see more. I don't see where her where her race is, where her campaign is going.
0: And I just want to make sure everyone remembers, she was the former deputy leader of the United Conservative Party under Jason Kenney and former deputy leader of the Wild Rose under Brian Jean. So she's been the second person for a few, few people here. Um, yeah. The last two that have officially announced and officially announced, and I I, I don't want to take much time on them because... I didn't know about them before this whole thing. And that's Rebecca Schultz, the Minister of Children's Mm -hmm. Services, and Rajon Swani, who is the former Minister of Transportation, then former Minister of Children's Services as well, before getting shuffled into transportation. What's... Rajan's uh, Rajan is northeast. uh Rebecca's down south. What's your thoughts on these two? Because when I went to their leadership race, the first thing they said was, I was at the cabinet table, but I wasn't making the decisions at the <laughs> cabinet table. And I went, wait, what? So what? okay? go ahead.
1: yeah th- this this is the whole you know, I was there, but but I was really i was I was I was, <laughs> I was with them, but I was really against them kind of thing. It's the. You, know, you I think you're gonna see a lot of this in uh, in this leadership race is, is candidates trying to reinvent uh, you know rewrite rewrite the history of of uh, uh, or their, their their part in the history of, of Jason Kenney's UCP cabinet um you know and there will be varying degrees of success I think these two candidates are actually ones to watch and I think they're quite really? interesting I th- yeah I do I think I think Rajan Sani, I think you know she's not a very well-known political name she doesn't come from a political background but uh, from what I hear, she's well respected in uh, in ca- among her cabinet colleagues. Um, a, a year ago, when I was asking MLAs uh, around, you know, who or who should I be watching? Who do you think who are you watching? Who do you think I should be watching? Aside from the obvious people who might run for the UCP leadership, they said, yeah, you know, keep an eye on on Rajan Sani and see, you know, she's she's an up and comer in cabinet. She's seen seen as fairly competent, um, and people like her uh you know she doesn't have a political machine behind her like I mean political machine isn't she doesn't have like it's not like she has years of experience in conservative political circles in this province she's a new new uh, a newer candidate um I think she's she you know I think she could be very add a a very interesting dynamic to the race she could be one to watch and I I would say the same with uh, with Rebecca Schultz who is you know speaking of a, new
0: pe- new people to alberta yeah. politics only new, being here for seven years
1: <laughs> yeah I moved, moved from from saskatchewan in i think 2015 or 2016 with her with her with her husband um the uh uh so new, new to alberta i don't know if how much that i don't know how much that matters i mean i think that if she ends up being a contender i think we'll hear her opponents talk about it a lot um but i don't i don't necessarily think it, you know a lot of people are new to alberta yeah um
0: and she has some she has big some names packing, backing yeah. her as well. Brad Wall, Tim McMillan, yeah. former president of uh, the Canadian Association of Petroleum Producers, uh, Stephanie cussey uh, Pierre Polyev's mother was at the event that was uh, at, uh, okay. in Southern. <laughs> uh, well, because Dan McLean was there yeah. and Councillor McLean yeah. uh, works with his brother. So the Poly- Polyev campaign probably might be down there. And uh, Lila, Lila, Lila Goodridge, former... Lila Goodridge? Uh, MP for Fort McMurray, Cold yeah. Lake. Yeah. So she's backing uh, Rebecca as well. So she has some yeah. names and Jason Copping, uh, Nixon, uh, Jeremy Nixon, and I forget her name from Medicine Hat. Michaela Frey. Michaela Frey from Medicine yeah. Hat. So she Brooks has, Hat.
1: yeah. She I, has I, I think she, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. No, I think she's, uh, I think she, the, the, those two are going to be interesting candidates to watch because I think they are, they have, I. I think, they have the potential to tap into some um, uh, uh, some politics, or I don't reword 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 what I'm saying. I think they 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 have the potential to be players in this race. I think they're not very well known. Uh, they're not very well known to most Albertans because they're both first-term MLAs, and they're not like they're not, they weren't the cabinet ministers that you hear about all the time. You don't really hear about the minister of transportation and you don't necessarily hear a lot about the minister of children's services a lot. You, you know, yeah. she had a, the announcement with the 10 with the $10 a day childcare funding from the feds, but aside from that, I don't think you really hear a lot of hear a lot about them. Um, you know, especially during COVID, the, right? During COVID, especially during know. COVID, yeah. So I think the endorsements that that uh, that Schultz is has received is are notable. Um, and that leads me to think that she might have some political organization behind her. Um, you know, if people like Brad Wall and Ronna Ambrose and, you know, the the list of people oh, that you named yeah. are, are willing to step out and endorse this first term MLA from, from South Calgary. Um, yeah. I think that uh, that she might be a player in this race and might be one to watch. She's kind of the, she, I mean, I think you're going to see these candidates try to position themselves as like the insider's outsider, you know? So it's, you know, she wasn't, they weren't, they're not like, they're not like Jason Kenney style people who've been around for, you know, in politics, floating around politics for 30 years, uh, but they're, you know, they've, they have experience in cabinet, but they're still kind of, they can, they're going to try to position themselves as outsiders because they're, they're newish to, to Alberta politics.
0: Last candidate before we wrap here, and that is the candidate who has announced, but not officially announced, that she might be seeking, but potentially looking at seeking the nomination, and that is the other white knight that Alberta politics so desperately need after Jason Kenney and Jim Prentice coming from Ottawa, Miss Michelle rempel Um What's your thoughts on another federal MP coming to Alberta to try and save us from those nasty, nasty NDP, as they always try to say? <laughs> well,
1: I mean, it, it's uh, f- federal MPs don't have a great track record jumping into uh, d- jumping into uh, into provincial politics in Alberta. I'm not going to not to discount Michelle uh, Rempel garner um, She might be able to break that. Um, but, I, you know, I don't know. Like Jason Kenney and like Jim Prentice, uh, there's a lot of unknowns in terms of, you know, she's a prominent MP in Ottawa and, you know, a prominent critic. But, you know, no one really knows where she might stand on issues provincially in Alberta. And, and, you know, the difference between going to Ottawa, going to Ottawa and even governing in Ottawa is is a much different political beast than governing provincially, especially in a a province like Alberta, um, where, you know, you're making decisions that are not... 30,000 feet above and high level stuff it's it's stuff that impacts people's day-to-day things and and you know I I wonder about these sometimes I wonder about politicians who've been around you know for a long time but yet you still don't really don't really know them um so you know I think she but I think she I mean I think she'd be a she'd she'd bring a she'd be a big name in the race she'd probably bring some support um, She'd be able
0: to raise the 150000 like that, probably.
1: Oh, abso- absolutely. Yeah, no, no, I don't think money would be an issue. Um, and, uh, you know, she might be, if she jumps in, she might be Calgary's candidate. Um, yeah. You know, and I've noticed she's tried to, you know, she's, it seems like she's tried in the past year. Or so she's tried to kind of reinvent herself a little bit, be a little more political moderate. She's not, you know, jumping on all the Greek, political grievance bandwagons like she was in, in the years past and, you know, that she'd really defined herself as, as kind of like a culture warrior in a way. Um, you know, I think the Buffalo Declaration thing is, is probably going to raise some eyebrows, you know, this kind of pseudo-separatism thing.
0: Well, in um, this race, when you have Brian Jean and uh, Daniel Smith talk about separation autonomy, everything's a fair game.
1: Yeah, no, I'm, but I'm not sure there's much. Is there much room left for it? Like, I mean, oh, great. It's just another candidate who thinks Alberta should be, you know, like South Tyrol or, that's you know, true. be it autonomous. Like, oh, great. Um, no, anyway, I don't want to, I don't want to, I obviously down her. She'll be a big, she'll be, she will be a big name if she enters the race and she'll be a credible candidate
0: and she'll no doubt raise the money. And uh, she might be the and, Pierre. And that's where I'm thinking. She, she, might. Might, be, yeah, she, she might, she might be the people that brings the large crowds out to attend the, her rallies. I could be wrong. Always happy to be disproven. Yeah. And I think the
1: lesson and and the lesson for that, I mean, Jason Kenney did the same thing. He was able to bring people out to the rallies. And I think that the lesson, one of the lessons you can, we can learn from Jason Kenney is that he may be an extremely talented campaigner and he may be really good at politics, but he's really bad at governing and he's, you know, none of that translated, none of that magic that, that, you know, led him to create the, 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 uh, the united conservative party and you know the
0: canadian taxpayer federation all the, that
1: like that yeah. none of that none of that like it didn't seem to mean anything because once he entered the premier's office it was just a giant hot mess from day one almost so that's you know true. being in opposition doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be a good uh going to be a good uh, uh a good premier true that's just I think, it's, I think it's a lesson it's a lesson that someone can someone somewhere can learn <laughs>
0: Well, I said 45 minutes. We're at almost past the hour. We're actually past the hour mark. Um, Dave, I want to thank you so much for doing this. I'm. Uh, I asked Dave beforehand, and uh, is it Dave or David? Like, does it you matter? Call me Dave. Call me is Dave. It, okay, because I, I your email's David. I was like, okay, am I calling yes. them wrong this entire time? So um, my my birth, my birth name is David. Okay, but I can call you Dave. Good. Um, yes, I, I asked. Dave, before we came on, if he wanted to come back on throughout the summer, or potentially if he has time with his busy schedule and work life as well. Uh, he has said that he, if he, there's possibly an opening, he can possibly come back on to talk about this because he likes talking about politics. And uh, it's always great to have uh, Dave on the show to talk about this. And the leadership race during this next few months is going to be quite interesting to see, especially after debate. So Dave, I want to thank you so much for doing this. Where can people find you? Uh, uh, you can
1: find me at, uh, daveberta.ca. I have a Substack that I'm starting at some point in the future at daveberta.substack.com. So please feel free to go sign up there. And, uh, yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, a lot of fun talking politics with you today, Chris, and, uh, I'll look forward
0: to joining you again over the summer. If you have, uh, uh, well, always, 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 we might actually add a few more political comments. We'll, we'll see if we can get Eric Grenier and yourself on an episode and just really oh, that'd be geek excellent. Out. great. <laughs> yes. He yeah, is. Totally. Um, so with that, I want to thank everyone for tuning in for another great episode of the Cross Border Interviews with Chris Brown. Have yourself an excellent day. And remember, everyone, get it from behind the social media for at least five minutes. Go have a conversation with somebody because it actually does help our society and our democracy be better. So with that, have yourself an excellent day. And remember, guys, keep talking.